If you are new to us this morning and, and you didn't know that the sun rose, uh, I just want to say this, this is a very special moment uh, for those of us at Bergen Park Church and a very special moment if you're visiting with us this morning. We are introducing to you our uh, candidate who's going to take us into the new season of Bergen Park Church. I am very excited about him, not just me, but uh, the staff, uh, the transition team, which has done really all of the work in, in finding Jason and, um, and putting us together with him, as well as the elected leaders. They are highly recommending him. We invite you to stay behind after the worship service, and uh, we'll introduce after this worship service the whole child care issue that we are solving for you as a gift, okay? And we just want you to know that we are working on that, but we'll tell you what it is after um, our candidate preaches, because uh, <clears throat> it's, it's long and involved. I want to say this about uh, Big John, also known as Jason. We are glad that you are here. We're glad that your family has come with you uh, <clears throat> so that they also get to know the, the church that they are going to be a part of. You are going to find that Jason is experienced, mature, wise, humble, a man of God's word, a decent husband, says his wife, <laughs> a good father, says his children, and you will get paid by your father just a little bit later. Okay. Uh, uh, you will notice from the way he speaks that he's from Minnesota. Yahoofta, you betcha by golly. Uh, <clears throat> And you will also know that here we are presenting to you a, a man of, who deeply loves God and his word. And more than anything else, I think uh, that is what this transition team has been wanting to do. So as uh, uh, Jason comes forward again, uh, he has not yet told his congregation. That's why we're not letting all the information out uh, after the vote today. Uh, that is when uh, that will be exposed, uh, and he tells his congregation, okay? So uh, we cannot tell you everything about him, uh, but when that happens, uh, then it'll be public. Now, it is the worst secret Bergen Park Church has ever had. I'm looking at some people who've Googled him and know more about him than I do, having spent a couple days with him, and that's just not right, okay? Uh, but it's part of technology. And we accept that. So uh, Jason has chosen a message which he believes is very appropriate for Bergen Park Church. Uh, I don't expect it to be a new one. And it's, we shouldn't expect it to be either. Because it's one that's valuable for the Church of Jesus Christ, not just here, but around the world. He's going to take you to a familiar passage, one that we preached last year. Uh, took months to get through it, okay? So Jason, we welcome you. Uh, please come forward, and um, uh, you are going to notice that also sitting amongst you are all the youth, okay, they wanted to be a part of this, and all of the Sunday school teachers, because they didn't want to miss out on this either. Uh, it may not be as big your first Sunday here, <laughs> because they have to do their work, all right, but it's all yours now, and I I'll put this down. Oh, thank you, Jim. Morning, church. You know, it is a blessing to be with you today. We've been going through this process over the last few months, actually 
not just a few months, six months, and learning about you. And I know the search team has also been learning a great deal about us. And as you walk through a process like this, it is a step of faith. It's a step of faith on the one hand to trust that your search team has vetted a candidate that loves God, loves his word, and will also be committed to serving you, to loving you, and helping you to become the disciples that God wants you to be. But also to, to know that our heart for you and uh, what God has done in our life has led us to the point that we are today, where he's opening a new door and a new opportunity to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and his disciples move out into a new town, Evergreen, to his glory, so that people in this city would say, hey, there is a community, there is a church that loves God, that loves this community, and wants to see God glorified in everything that we do. And so we're excited. We've enjoyed the opportunity of getting to know the search team and getting to know many of you. And today I have the privilege of jumping into God's Word. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, so if you have a Bible, you can grab it. If you want to turn it on, that's okay too. You can turn your scriptures on and we'll jump into Ephesians chapter 1. What I'm going to try to do today is, one, to answer the question, you know, what is the mission of the church? What is our purpose? And then second, as we answer that question, hopefully to give you uh, maybe a glimpse into to my heart, what I'm passionate about, and how God has been at work in our lives and what he's taught us as we've, um, as we've taken this journey with him. So jump with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3, and we're going to move down to verse 14. So Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you were also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. How'd you know that? <laughs> hey, as you read that passage, you may stumble through some of those words and that's okay. It is a challenging passage to walk through. Because what Paul is doing here, what's so amazing about this text is that in the, the Greek language, which the New Testament was originally written in, this is one continuous sentence. Now, in your translations, you may find as many as eight individual sentences. But for Paul, from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14 is one 
continuous statement of praise. So if you find the English version hard to read, read, imagine what it is like to read it in the Greek. To see one continuous statement after another of what God has done for us. Of the wonder of who God is. And the majesty to imagine that God has chosen us. That he has predestined us before the foundations of the world. Now whatever that means, that's a long time ago. And he called us to himself in love. And he lavished on us grace and truth so that you and I might be called the sons and the daughters of God. Paul says all of this in one sentence, one 202 run-on sentence that grammatically is a mess, but in terms of praise is captivating. See, Paul is captivated by God, and he's captivated by what God has done for us. Now, I think you know what it means to be captivated. Because as we've driven around Evergreen, we have been captivated. We've been captivated by the beauty of the landscape. We've been captivated by animals we expected not to see outside of a cage. (laughs) But I have to admit, when we arrived in Denver, I was not captivated. I wondered, um, many people had said to us, and we often hear how beautiful Colorado is. Well... Uh, They didn't tell the airport. (laughs) Because when we left the airport, everything was brown and it was flat. Now, I could tell in the distance, there were mountains in the distance. And so as we started traveling towards the mountains, I thought, okay, this is going to be it. But on the face, the front face of the mountains, there were no trees. And it really wasn't until we got into Golden and we started coming up, um, I think it's I-70, that our perspective, right, started to change. Because as you get elevation, your perspective starts to change. And we're able to look back from this kind of elevation and see how everything fits together, how the brown and the flat and the hills and the trees all come together. And it's, it's glorious. It's beautiful. And see, I want to suggest to you in this passage, Paul is taking us to a high elevation of praise. And he's looking down at who God is and what he's done. And his heart is captivated by the glory of God and the message of salvation. Church, Are we captivated by the glory of God and the message of God's salvation? That's what we should be. What God wants for us, the purpose of the church, and the purpose for which Jesus Christ came is that you and I would never stop praising and glorifying what God has done. To be amazed by the beauty of what God has done for us and to allow that to saturate our lives in such a way that his praise would always be on our lips. And the life that we would live would be a life that others would say, there's something different about him. There's something that has captivated him. There's something about her that causes her to live in ways that I see something unique and powerful in his life. Now, what is that? And today, as we we walk through this passage, we'll see more and more of what God has done for us. But he's responding in praise. Let me get my notes straight. I usually use a flat table here, Jim. So i got to get used to your podium. Okay. You know, as we've uh, had the privilege to stop in a number of the homes of, of people who have brought us in, I've noticed that one thing that's very different between Evergreen and Texas is you have a lot of windows. You know, in Texas, we don't have a lot of windows because it's not as 
as beautiful to look at your neighbor's backyard, <laughs> to see a brick uh, wall, or, or simply to see your neighbor mowing his grass. But in Evergreen, there's a lot of windows. And in part, I think those windows are there because you want to bring the outside in. You want to see the beauty that's around you. And I think we want people uh, that come into our homes to say, wow, now, isn't that view amazing? Because when somebody affirms something that we find glorious, doesn't that add to our joy? When somebody else affirms and says, you know, that is an amazing view, isn't that beautiful? What happens is our appreciation begins to grow. And the more people you can get together that appreciate the same thing, you find this energy and this motivation starts to, to saturate the people that we're excited about what we see. You know, for many years, uh, our family, we lived in Boston. I went to seminary in the north uh, shore of Massachusetts. And for years, when I was in that area, I was captivated, and I found the Boston Red Sox glorious. <laughs> found them so glorious that I was willing to invest my time, the meager resources that I had at that time, my money, my energy to get as much of the Red Sox as I could. Now, in 2004, and I know you've been waiting since 1993, Colorado Rockies. <laughs> I, know, I know you guys have been waiting a long time, but in 2004, the Boston Red Sox, for the first time, won World Series since uh, 19, 1918, 84 years. And at that moment, when we were celebrating as a city, I found that because we all shared the Boston Red Sox in common, every fan was now my brother or my sister or my father, or my mother. Because we had found something so glorious and so beautiful, it brought us together. Now, listen, it doesn't last. <laughs> the next year, everybody starts complaining all over again. But the reality is, in Scripture, Jesus is the only one who is called the fullness of the glory of God. That in Jesus, we have the fullness of God's glory, which means... The fullness of God's weightiness, the fullness of God's character. The word glory means weight. And when you find something glorious, you know it's glorious because it has weight in your life. And it has weight in your life, which means you start making new decisions, new choices based on what has captivated your heart. I remember the first time I held my sons in my hands. As a newborn child, I'll tell you, that moment had glory. There was also another moment where I saw Melissa walk down the center aisle of a church. I was standing up front. There was her father. She was coming to be my bride. That was a glorious moment. And because of those moments, my life began to change. Because the weight of my children's life on my life as a father started causing me to make new decisions, new behaviors, new attitudes. My wife came into my life. I found her glorious and beautiful, and because of that, my life began to change. I started sacrificing. My money went in different places that I didn't know it would go. <laughs> and things were different because there was a glory. And likewise, I think each one of us have things in our lives that we find glorious. But see, God has sent Jesus Christ so that we would see in Jesus the fullness of the glory of God that we would recognize there is nothing on earth that could possibly compare to what God has done for us in and through the person of Jesus. Hey, if you turn to your Bible, let's look back at that passage and just notice for a minute some of the things that God has done for us. 
You know, in verse 3, it says that he has blessed us. Verse 4, that he has chosen us. Verse 5, it says he has, re- he has predestined us. 7, he redeemed us through his blood. Verse 11, he has given us an inheritance. And finally, in verse 13, he has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit. Church, why has God done this for you? Three times, Paul says, to the praise of his. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. There's one reason why God has rescued us. is so that you and I might live in evergreen to the praise of God's glory. So that God would have so much weight in our lives, so much captivate who we are, that it changes our behavior. It changes what we talk about. It changes the way we spend our money. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we do family. It changes the way we do sex. It changes everything. Because when God comes into your life, he has such glory that what you must do, what you find yourself wanting to do, is to live your life to the praise of his glory. This is the goodness of the gospel, that God has called us to be a people that belong to him. Now, I think there's a challenge that we face today. And all of us are in it because we live in a culture that is very focused on our needs. We live in a very individualistic culture. I think we live probably in the most individualistic culture that has ever survived. And in this context, the focus is on us, what's best for us. We see life in terms of how it can meet my needs and, and, and how it can work in my life. You know, in, in uh, seminary, we, we learned early on about two types of theology. There's cat theology and there's dog theology. Now, a dog says, my owner cares for me, he loves me, he cleans up after me, uh, therefore he must be God. A cat says, my owner loves me, cares for me, cleans up for me, I must be God. (laughs) And see, that's why cats can't be found when you walk in the door, but a dog is right there. Because you are his glory. Well, sometimes what happens is when you look at a passage like this in Ephesians 1, you can notice six times the word us is used. He has blessed us. He has loved us. He has chosen us. He has predestined us. And we can think that the mission of the church, the mission of God is simply us. But what he's showing us is that when God has truly rescued us, what starts to happen is life is no longer about us. We found something greater. And we now want to use our lives in a way that causes others to see the glory that we have seen in God himself. And he says it in two ways. Again, he says in verse 6 that we might bring praise to his glorious grace. And he says in verse 12 and 14 that we might bring praise to his glory. Now, two, two ways that Paul says we glorify him. First of all, to bring praise to his glorious grace means that God's story becomes your story. That we're no longer living simply for the story of what my life is about. Rather, my life now has a new hero, and it's not me. That new hero is Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. And in each moment in life, this is important, in every challenge that we face, we're not looking to ourselves to solve the the problem. Rather, we're looking to Jesus and what God has given us. 
And we're saying, Lord, as you have rescued me to salvation in you, now rescue me from the challenges I face financially, the challenges I face in raising my kids. Father, rescue me from the challenges in my marriage because you're not just my savior in terms of my future. You're saving me today in such a way that I can say to others, isn't our God great? Look at what God has done in my life that I want to live to the praise of his glorious grace, that I want my story to be God's story. Now, he also says we are to live to the praise of his greatness or his glory, which means that we are to live in such a way that others would see the greatness of God. Now, I know when we walk out this door today, we see God's greatness because the scriptures say the heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the works of his hands. And day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. And there's no place where their voice is not heard. Creation is constantly displaying and speaking of the glory of God. Let's see, likewise, we, God's chief creation, created in the image of God, are to live in such a way that others start to see the glory of God in us. And they start to know that God has come, that God has rescued us, because here is a people who live not for themselves, but rather that we live for the benefit of the city in which we live. That we live in such a way that life isn't simply about my money or my time or my talents. Rather, God wants to liberate me from simply living to myself and to find that all the resources God has given me, He wants me to use so that others might share in the praise that I have for God. That's the mission that God has given us, that all of us together might live in such a way that we point to what God has done. Now, God has a passion for us, and yet when that passion finds its home in our heart, it always leads us to a passion for God. That when people drive by this building, they would not simply say, you know, that is a beautiful building. But they would say, those are beautiful people. And I'm grateful that Bergen Park Church is here because they are the most generous, sacrificing, patient, loving, gentle, kind, considerate. You know, they make our city better. And I know where we disagree. And many people in our community do not agree with us morally. They don't agree with what we believe and where we stand and where we place our faith. But they need to see that the God that has rescued us loves them. And the place they're going to see that is through us. The place they're going to know that is through the way we engage in this community in such a way that others see the praise of God's grace. You now, God has a unique vision for his church. And God's vision is that through you, he wants to fill Evergreen with his presence. See, look back at this passage in verse 22, actually in verse 9, Paul describes the plan of salvation or the plan or the purpose for which God has rescued us. And he says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The reason that God has sent Jesus is to unite all things in Jesus, to bring everything under the authority 
of Jesus, which means that when things come under Jesus, they get better. Marriages that come under Jesus, they get better. Lives that come under Jesus are healed. And cities that come under Jesus get better. Well, how are cities going to come under the authority of Jesus? Well, here's the beauty. As we jump down in verse 22, he describes how even the city, the town of Evergreen, comes under his authority. Look at this in verse 22. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, fills all in all. Hey, just quickly, three observations. He says, first of all, church, you are the body of Christ. We are his body. And second, he says, Christ fills all in all. Now, we are his body and Christ fills all in all. The question becomes, how is Christ going to fill all things? And the beauty of what he's communicating in this passage is that Christ fills all things through his body, the church. It's through the church that the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of who he is, spreads out into this community in ways that cause others to see the glory of who God is. See, what God wants to do through us is that we would cover every corner of Evergreen, every restaurant, every store, every neighborhood, every home with his presence. That God wants to use his people in such a way that extends the presence of God to every person in this area so that they might also see the glory and know the story of the gospel. You know, God has a great purpose for us, not to live for ourselves, but rather for him who rescued us and has brought us to himself. You know, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, I want to close with this, this picture. In Habakkuk 2, 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that one day the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover everything in the same way that the waters cover the sea, that Habakkuk is describing a day when the knowledge of the glory of God will saturate everything, will cover everything. And see, that is God's vision for his church, that through us today, the knowledge of the glory of God would cover all things. The way that's going to happen is through his people. But church, it can't happen unless we're first captivated by Jesus Christ. And it can't happen unless we are a people who together in community point one another to Jesus Christ. You know, the beauty of that is called freedom. Because when you have Christ, you've got your acceptance. And therefore, you don't need the acceptance of others. Rather, you've got the acceptance of Christ. And you can walk into your office and live boldly for Christ, knowing that my money isn't my acceptance, my title isn't my acceptance, Rather, my acceptance is in what Christ has done. And now I can live to the praise of his glorious grace because I'm free. Or some of us maybe have had history in the past or experiences that we're, we live in shame. We feel as we're not worthy enough. We're not good enough. Why would God use me? Well, recognize if you are in Christ, he's already covered your sin. He's covered your shame. And instead, you're not defined by what you've done. You're de defined by what Jesus Christ has done. And so you can go out into life and be honest about the struggles that you faced. That not even our sin 
not even our sin, can keep the glory of God from working through us. Now, Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that all of us have done things that do not glorify Him, but rather send a message about God that says the opposite of His glory. Well, see, when God has rescued us, He's re rescued us in such a way that our lives begin to reflect the love of who He is, the power of who He is, and the passion of what He's done. Church, as, as people know more and more what Bergen Park Church is, may they say that is a people who love like God, who live in a way, in a manner that Christ has lived, so that others may come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of the God that we serve. God is good, and God is at work, and he wants to work through us. Hey, can I pray for you? Father, I thank you that, Lord, you did not choose us because we had things together. Lord, you didn't predestine us because you said, you know, I need Jason on my team. Lord, you lavished grace on us because we were far from you. And it was only grace that could draw us to you. And it was grace that we heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, you had died for our sins and, and risen and rose to the right hand of the Father so that we might know the Father. And Lord, I pray that the glory for which you have rescued us and chosen us would be so weighty on our hearts and lives that we'd live as a community that loves to glorify and to praise what you have done. And Lord, to go out into a community that desperately needs to know you and to live in ways that others would recognize. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to love us, to sacrifice for us, so that we might know you. Father, meet us in that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.